We're continuing our study through the book of Exodus. I want to remind you that uh, you can prepare for next week's sermon by uh, picking up your, your study guide and, uh, and uh, look through the passage for next week so that you can be uh, prepared to ahead of time for the message and the, the um, explanations and illustrations that you will hear next week. We asked the question, what can I learn from this passage about honoring God? Last week we looked at three ways in which we should be obedient to God. Our obedience must be bold and courageous, it must be complete, and it must be precise. We saw this as Moses took steps to obey God's call on his life to return to Egypt and free his people. However, he had neglected to circumcise his own son, and so God almost took his life. But then Moses was recommissioned when the deed was done. When he finally made it to Egypt, he and Aaron spoke to the elders and showed them God's signs as God had commanded, and now they were ready to go before Pharaoh. You remember what the signs were? You take this rod, Aaron, that you have and, and toss it onto the floor. When he does, it turns into a snake, and Moses backs off. Pastor Chad reminded us that a shepherd who has been around for a long time would not be walking too far away from a benign little snake, that him pushing back makes this uh, probably a very dangerous one. And then he's told to pick up the snake by the tail, which is something that you should never do. Children, never do that. But he picked it up by the tail, it became a rod again. The second one was, take your hand, put it into your cloak. When it came out, it was leprous. And you put it back in, leprosy was gone. Now these are amazing, amazing miracles. The third one, take some water from the Nile River, pour it onto the ground, it'll turn into blood. People are convinced that God has sent him, and he and Aaron um, go forth and uh, obediently go before Pharaoh. But as we'll see, they're going to save, face some big problems. I remind, I'm reminded of uh, times in which I've had to confront issues that were far beyond my capacity, that, uh, that just did so much to, to shake me that um, I did not know whether I would be able to endure. Many years ago, I was serving in the Africa Indian Ocean Division, 
as Health Ministries Director as well as Associate Ministerial Secretary. It was, uh, I was really excited about one particular trip that I was going to take. Usually the, these, uh, these tours of the different hospitals and clinics and uh, the uh, unions and the conferences and the leadership in health ministries was, uh, was really an exciting, vibrant thing. This trip I anticipated was going to be really great. I was going to be going to, uh, to Ghana and uh, helping them uh, to just being there to celebrate the opening of a new Adventist clinic. And uh, there was rejoicing, there was fellowship. Um, I had arrived late because my flight had been delayed and, and we had to rush last minute to get to the celebration, but the celebration was wonderful. And uh, they drove me back uh, to the airport after this, this wonderful um, meeting and uh, as they were taking me to the airport not far from the airport about maybe one kilometer away uh, there was uh, a car that decided not to stop and broadsided us there were no injuries but the car was, was wrecked and uh, couldn't go anywhere and uh, I had to get a taxi to take me to the airport rather shaken by the experience, I figured, well, now I can proceed. My next stop was to go to Cameroon, to Yaoundé in the country of Cameroon. And, uh, and there, there was a, a lot of great stuff that was happening, and I was there to encourage the folks in Yaoundé at the dental clinic there, and uh, they were celebrating the fact that uh, for the first time they had, they had been able to, in the last six months, to generate enough fees from the expatriate community so that they could do more for the poorer people who could not afford dental care. And uh, they had devised a uh, little uh, dental safaris for the staff to go into villages, and I, I was celebrating that. I was really happy about that. From there, my host, um, Garth Anthony, some of you might have met him before, who uh, was the health ministries director of, of uh, that region of the division, uh, was taking me uh, up north to where we had some AIDS uh, uh, prevention conferences and, uh, and some training for the local health uh, people and the nurses. And, uh, but the thing that I was looking forward to the most was that we were going to borrow a Toyota Halux, fill it up with all sorts of, of uh, of materials and, uh, and needed food and a generator and all sorts of stuff and drive into the country of Chad and get to our hospital there in Barrie in Chad. 
The Berry Hospital has captured our imagination because it's so far from everywhere, but it's doing so much good with such limited resources. And we had had this Toyota Halux really nicely loaded. And Haluxes have, have a, uh, a particular characteristic. When they're really loaded, they ride really well. But when they're empty in the back, they bounce a lot. I, I don't know if you, you ever noticed that, but they, they bounce a lot. And so we uh, headed off to Barrie. Uh, as we crossed into Chad, we, and that's not the name of our pastor, it's a T-C-H-A-D. Um, as we walked in, as we drove into the country, I, for the first time, realized how amazingly well-kept the roads were. These were dirt highways that were really nicely maintained by the cotton industry in that region. And uh, they, I mean, we could just speed right along and it was, it was good. Uh, these roads um, in this part of the world were, were set up high, about uh, three meters, uh, ten, 10 feet up above the surrounding area. And so as we drove along, we had this view of the, of the countryside. It was really, really lovely. And, and uh, we, we drove and drove and finally got to Barry Hospital. As uh, uh, we were well received, we spent a couple of days with them, enjoyed great fellowship with people who were starving for, for expatriate visitors and, and uh, they set up the generator and we helped with various chores and, and encouraged them as much as we could. We prayed a lot with them and uh, all too soon we had to leave to come back, to go back to Cameroon. On the way back, uh, we, uh, we were traveling right along. I had taken my stint as, for driving, and then, and then Garth took the rest of the way. And um, this beautifully manicured dirt highway um, did something that we were not expecting. We went from hard-packed dirt to some gravel and then for hard packed dirt with some sand on it that was really slick. And just as we noticed what had happened, there was a 90 degree turn in the road. And when Garth turned the wheel, the car did not turn. And we went plowing straight forward, and there was a tree there. And this tree had half of its roots sort of dangling off the side of the road, and we hit it straight on. And the tree went down, and we went flying, and we landed in the branches of that tree. Well, we counted our blessings at least we had a softer landing than we would have had. But then looking out, we were at least seven feet off the ground. Well, as happens in 
villages of this sort. The, the villagers came out in mass and they looked at the situation. But when we landed in the branches, we had gone up and then crashed right down and broke several of those branches. Garth screamed out in pain. He, I had gone up, straight up and, and down, but he had come down a little bit sideways, and he was in agony. And I thought to myself, no, this, this can't be happening. After such a joyful experience with these folks and, and everything, Lord, why does something like this have to happen? Well, they improvised. The villagers came, and slowly but surely, they took their machetes, and they started hacking away, and, and, the, and the Toyota just started coming down, coming down, until we were just over the trunk of, uh, of the tree. And uh, Garth was in agony. We... Uh, we got about 10 or 12 people and just crowded in and uh, just kept Garth in the same position that he was sitting, except that we just lifted him up very carefully and very carefully put him down. I looked at the, at the uh, Toyota. I went in and I turned the key and the engine was okay. I got out and I looked at the front wheels and one was facing forward and the other one was at about a 30 degree angle. And I said, oh dear, we're stuck. But then one of the, one of the villagers said, ah, that's not a problem, just, just turn the wheel a little bit and then you'll be at an angle on both of them and then you could drive out. And uh, I said, well, okay, this is, this is uh, new technology for me. I, to just uh, take care of, of, uh, of this situation. Well, we got, the, we got the Toyota off of the trunk of the, uh, of the tree, and then, and then we went maybe uh, the equivalent of two or three blocks until there was a, a, a better easement up onto the road. And with several, several goings back and forth, we find, and, and some people pushing, we got the thing up on the, on the road. They had found a stretcher and they brought Garth and we laid him on the back seat of the car. But any time I went past 10 kilometers per hour, he would start screaming. So for 50 kilometers, we just slowly Went. And I was praying the whole time, saying, Lord, why? Why, why does this have to end this way? This, this car belongs to a mission group, and, and they can't afford to lose it. And I'm complaining to God the whole time. We get to um, a little airport. There was a clinic nearby. They, they checked him out. They didn't know what to do with him. They took some x-rays with an old machine that they had but uh, it didn't show anything that they could detect. And I, uh, I said, well, okay, we'll get him onto an airplane, on a stretcher, 
we'll get him to Yaounde and have that cared for there. So we arrived in Yaounde. Um, they took x-rays there. They couldn't find anything that they could see, but he was in so much pain that we airlifted him to, back to England. And there they discovered that he had a, a fracture of, a hairline fracture of the spine. And we said, Lord, why? Lord, Lord you know, this, this, was, this was supposed to be such a, such a wonderful experience of, of bringing hope to our missionaries and, and, uh, and just helping to educate our people. <laughs> why do you allow this? Well, Garth did recover in time. The people in the village whom, who served us were much more open to the Word of God. And as I looked back, I thought, regardless of what Satan throws our way, we have an opportunity to praise him because he's bigger than any problems that we might face. This is where we find Moses and the children of Israel in chapter 5. They face problems, but God shows them that he is greater than those problems. Pharaoh resists Moses, he's a powerful man, most powerful man in Egypt, and perhaps in that part of the world. He and his people consider him to be a god. No one messes with him, but he was about to meet his match, and the world would see that he was nothing and that God was the true one who had the power. As we look at this passage, we notice that God doesn't have Moses and Aaron immediately um, going up to Pharaoh and saying, okay, we're going to go to the promised land. You have to let us go permanently. No, God takes it in increments. He wants Pharaoh to obey in increments. It's not that God or Moses are being deceptive about what they're going to do. It's just that God is giving the Pharaoh a chance to obey in many steps. And as, uh, as the situation comes to life here, uh, Pharaoh does not take the hint. In fact, he calls the people lazy. He says, now, if you have three days that you can go out there, there's three days that you're not working. You're just being lazy. In verse 3, they explain that uh, this feast will involve them making sacrifices to God. Some of the beasts that they would sacrifice were actually deities or, 
or highly regarded by Egyptians. Uh, if they tried to do that there in Goshen, the Egyptians would be terribly um, uh, dissatisfied, uh, outraged by what they were doing. So let us go and make sacrifice someplace else. That way we will not enrage the people. Going to the wilderness would have given them enough distance to sacrifice without causing a riot in Egypt. Now God knew he'd, that Pharaoh would say no to this. He had told um, Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, which is a hard thing for us to imagine that God would harden somebody's heart. But as Chad, Pastor Chad mentioned last week, that uh, you know you take butter and you take uh, molten cement, and you put them out to the sun, one will melt, and the other one will harden. And that's the way with character. The character of Pharaoh was such that under the scrutiny of God, under the influence of God, under the light of God's power, butter would melt, but Pharaoh would harden. But God still gave Pharaoh the option to obey. First, in this small request, which would have been a step in the direction of obeying the larger request to release the people from slavery. And you might say, yeah, but that's pretty un uh, unreasonable to expect Pharaoh to grant approval for all these Israelites to leave their work for three days. No wonder he said no. Well. There's something else interesting about command, God's command here. Verse 3 says that we, may that, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Now, Pharaoh's no, no dummy. He knows that he, can, that he can oppress people, and he will. But uh, a God who can bring judgment upon his own people. Hmm, this was a little bit much for him to take in. And so, um, Pharaoh knew that if anybody in his realm were to refuse to, to uh, do things, that there would be punishment. And so, some of his... Um, how shall I say it? Some of his uh, uh, remembering of his own power might have uh, given him question about this new God. He says, I don't know your God. I don't know who he is, and I really don't care. I'm going to uh, make it hard for your people. So uh, Pharaoh decides to punish the Israelites. Here in chapter 5, we see Pharaoh wasn't trying to teach the Israelites a life lesson for their benefit. He was trying to teach them a lesson and, uh, with a hard and unloving attitude um, for his own benefit. Notice in verse 6, if you look in verse 6 here, it says that the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters and their officers to no longer give straw to the Hebrews to make bricks, 
they have to get it themselves. And so this doubles their workload. And, uh, and Pharaoh doesn't waste any time punishing the Israelites for what Moses and Aaron said to him. He was trying to send a message to them. Don't even think about trying to get away from me. I'm going to work you so hard you won't have any energy left for time to yourselves. Let's stop for a minute now and think about what might have been going through Pharaoh's mind. He obviously was power hungry. For Moses and Aaron to approach him to make such a request was an insult to him. He felt manipulated. And the fact that this request was public was um, even harder. After all, he believed the Israelites belonged to him, not to God, and Pharaoh didn't care if they worshipped him as a god of Egypt or not. He just cared about controlling them and working them for the benefit of his own ends. And when Aaron and Moses stood before him, he probably felt like he was starting to lose some of his control. Pharaoh's punishment was uh, too much. They couldn't meet their quotas. And, um, and as you can see, early on, the Israelites were already showing their lack of faith in God and their lack of support for Moses. Yet God was still greater than their problems as w and was with them. What about you and me? Are there times when it seems like you're being punished just because you profess Christ and you're a Christian? In many parts of the world, this is a true reality. And I wouldn't put it past the circumstances of the future for that to be a reality for us. I like what John Newton says about the problems every Christian faces. He says, the advantage of afflictions when the Lord is pleased to employ them for the good of his people are many and great. That is not always easy for us to accept. But just like Moses and the Israelites, we must remember that God has not forgotten us even when the world is beating us up. He's greater than our problems, always. Another thing that, uh, that we see in this chapter is that, uh, that the decision that Pharaoh makes to punish the people of Israel and to have them work with, uh, make bricks without straw causes division. When Satan attacks his people, they often look to see whom to blame. And so the overseers come not to Moses, not to God. They come to Pharaoh, and they try to reason with him. When they can't reason with him, they step away. And now the foremen who are Israelites also they say, well, let's go to Moses and Aaron. And they say to Moses and Aaron, this is your fault. Who told you to come here and, and make these, these outrageous requests on our behalf and now we're being punished and, um, you know, 
you're going to go scot-free. In Latin, the phrase divide et impera means divide and conquer. It's a military, economic, and mathematical term. Its definition is a method to gain or keep power for another. And the term and strategy has been used by many nations over the years. I believe that, it, that what uh, Pharaoh was attempting to do here with the Israelites, and at first it looked like he was succeeding, it tells us in, in verse 21 that the officers of the children of Israel came to Moses and Aaron and accused them. After that, Moses and Aaron were uh, considered the reason the people had to do extra work, and it began to divide God's people. Yet Moses was being led by God, and because the people were verbally attacking Moses here and were probably ready to physically attack him, um, he did the right thing by going straight to God. It's, you know, Matthew 18 is not just for us. I mean, Moses saw that he, he couldn't just complain or complain back to the children of Israel. He had to, he had to um, uh, confront God himself. And confronting God is not a bad thing. Just, just consider, how many times have you in prayer argued with God? I hope you have, because, because when we go to the throne of God and we ask him for his reasoning behind what is happening, we open our hearts and our minds to the reality that he is bigger and stronger and more powerful than anything we can face. And... Uh, so it wasn't doubt that led Moses to talk to God. It was an assurance that if he faced God directly, that God would have an answer for him. G. Campbell Morgan says, Happy is the man who, when he cannot understand the divine movement and indeed doubts it, has yet faith enough in God himself to tell him, all of his doubts. By the way, Moses isn't, isn't the only person in history who has had to come before God and ask him, why God? What are you doing in this situation? Many Christians over the years have fought against their doubts and inadequacies, including you and me. And those who turn to God are the ones who have gotten through it. Well, I believe Satan is trying to cause a division in Moses' heart between him and God by causing Moses to doubt. After all, back in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, God told Moses, I, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in the midst. And after that, he will let you go. So Moses had the heads up. Cutting to the chase here. 
Satan wants to cause division between us and God, and he will make his attempt every time we face problems. But we must never forget, God is bigger than our problems. And in closing, I'd like to encourage you, Christians, to give any of your problems over to God today. He's bigger than them. And just like he was with Moses, he will be with you too. Have faith and let him do his work. If you're here today and you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and turned to him, or maybe you've used to believe and you've doubted, your problems will always be bigger than you can handle. You don't have the strength or the ability to overcome your problems on your own. Jesus Christ will take all of your problems on himself, all your sin, past and present and future, and he will give you new life. Yes, you'll still have problems, and yet it will still be hard. But the God of the universe who created you will hold on to you and get you through. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. My final verse here now from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 to 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that this life, his life, may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Going to verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. My friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ assures us that we have a God that is bigger than our sins, is bigger than our problems, is bigger than anything that Satan can throw to us. So stick with God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I'm grateful that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God of love, and that in your wisdom. You allow certain things to happen in our lives that take us by storm. But then, at the end of it all, 
we see that our almighty, loving God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Give us the encouragement that we need when things go wrong so that we can focus ourselves on things that are eternal and will always bring victory in the end. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.